The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space. Celebrating tenure through the community. Created by Carl Sinclair. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our fellow in focus um, uh, uh, with Torsten, uh, uh, Wilena, who we're going to hear from in a moment. He's in conversation with Anna Shahood. However, I just want to simply uh, welcome you all to this and to our virtual Trinity Long Room Hub. My name is Jane Oldmeyer, and I'm the director of the Trinity Long Room Hub, which is our institute. Uh, 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 advanced studies in the arts and humanities. Um, in the Hub we do three things. We uh, celebrate the excellence of the arts and humanities trinity. We promote conversations across disciplines and we're going to get a great example of that today. And then um, the third thing we do is public humanities. And ironically uh, the lockdown has meant that we have to do everything virtually and it allows us to reach audiences that we simply were never able to reach before. So I guess that's the silver lining in all of this. Um, usually when we have our fellow in focus, it's in the beautiful Long Room Hub building in the center of the lovely campus at Trinity. But there might be 20, 30 people in the room. Here we're able to engage with so many more. So that's fantastic. Let's say a few words about our fellows because the hub is made up of amazing community of early career researchers and visiting fellows. Um, and we've been very fortunate to have this Marie Curie funded co-fund program, which has allowed us over the course of the last three years to bring in every year, three co-fund fellows and, and Torsten is one of them. And they've been part of our community for 12 months and uh, they have just enriched um, everything enormously. Uh, it's been such a privilege working with our co-fund fellows. Obviously the lockdown has disrupted things a little bit but actually it hasn't in any way diminished the power of the community and we still are meeting very regularly virtually and I think today's uh, fellow in focus will really illustrate just how much certainly Torsten has continued to do despite uh, everything uh, with the lockdown. Um, I'll have an opportunity at the end to, to thank Torsten, um, but I, I'm very sad that our fellows now are getting ready to leave us, and I know Torsten has a wonderful job that he's going to uh, in Berlin, uh, but you've been a very important and special part of the community at the Trinity Long Room Hub, so um, I'm, I'm so delighted that uh, uh, we'll be hearing from you. And I'm so delighted that Anna Shahood is leading that conversation because Anna is a, a very dear colleague and friend. Uh, she's in our classics department. Uh, she's professor of, of Latin. And she's also the champion for one of the research themes that the Hub supports, uh, the manuscript print uh, culture theme. And Anna, you've done phenomenal work uh, as the convener, co-convener uh, uh, of the theme. And, and I think what's been particularly important has been this relationship 
with the library at Trinity um, and how so many of our fellows come, I think it's 40% of all fellows who come to the Trinity Long Room Hub work on uh, our phenomenal collections in the library. And today we're gonna hear about the Arabic collections and obviously a lot more about the online exhibition that um, Torsten has been working with uh, in partnership with the library. And a special shout out here for Jane Maxwell, who has been a joy, she's always a joy to work with, but she's been a particular joy to work with in this context. So really without further ado, uh, Anna, can I hand um, the floor over to you and uh, leave you to have that in conversation uh, with uh, Torsten. And just to remind colleagues to ask questions, use the Q&A function that is at the bottom of your screen, and then Anna will be feed, uh, feeding those in uh, after about 20, 25 minutes of conversation. So there's plenty of opportunity uh, uh, for questions and uh, wider discussion. So Anna, welcome and thank you. Over thank to you. you. Thank you very much, Jane, and thank you for your kind words and for reminding us of the lovely building. We were looking at the background, the Long Room Hub, the students sitting uh, uh, in Fellow Square. Uh, it's made me really nostalgic, but we'll, get, we'll go back, we'll go back. And you're absolutely right that the conversations uh, have continued and you've made uh, that possible in, 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 in a way that, uh, you know, we couldn't have, I couldn't have imagined. And uh, with Thurston, you know, we had lovely conversations inside the building, in my office, outside the building during the year. And we've continued throughout. He's made a, 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 a huge contribution uh, to research in our college as, as well as uh, making a phenomenal progress with his own project. Now, I, I don't want, this is really about Thurston and not about me. And I would want to, to hand over to him uh, 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 straight away. Uh, obviously, uh, we call him Thurston. This is Dr. Thurston Bolina, PhD uh, from Berlin, and uh, with a five-year uh, work experience in Beirut. And uh, um, uh, the qualifications that he brought to us uh, combined um, uh, in sort of you know, were uh, found in in. Uh, in our research environment, uh, both in the uh, academic aspect uh, areas of the university and in the library, a fruitful uh, place uh, uh, for your research. Uh, and uh, uh, to begin the conversation, may I ask you, Thurston, uh, to tell everyone, and hello everyone, and thank you for listening, uh, what were the specific reasons that after your uh, already international uh, uh, career uh, brought you to to Trinity and to the Long Room Hub and to manuscript book and print cultures in particular, uh, thinking that it might be a worth a fruitful um, environment for your work. So first of all, uh, thank you, Jane, for the introduction, and thank you, Anna, for the introduction and the first question. Um, so I think these introductions already bring out one of the reasons why I wanted to come to Dublin. It's a very supportive and hospitable uh, environment for doing research. And I have been, like I've spent half a year in Dublin, my early twenties, without any connection to research whatsoever. But even so, um, the city has had a very special place in my heart uh, ever since. It's a place full of stories and full of people willing to share those stories. And so in the uh, years that followed that, 
I returned to Dublin several times and discovered uh, the places that are interesting to someone working on Arabic uh, manuscripts, but also Arabic texts in general. There are definitely the Chester Beatty Library, which is uh, known worldwide and has several thousands of Arabic manuscripts. There is also Marsh's Library, which is lesser known, but um, a very in uh, interesting library because it's uh, still in the state, kind of, that it was in, in the 18th century when it was founded. And it looks a little bit like the library that I have as my background, which is Trinity Library, which is the third collection of Arabic texts in Dublin. And I must admit that before I had my interview with Jane, Anna and several other people from Trinity College, I did not know of this collection in Trinity Library. And uh, uh, this year uh, that I spent here gave me the opportunity to get to know this collection better. And I feel that it really needs to be highlighted. Even though it is small in scale, it's a very important collection in terms of the history of European engagements with Arabic as a language and the Middle East as a place and all the cultures that it contains. So, yeah. Thank you very much, Thurston. That is, uh, that, that is brilliant. And uh, um, um, I suppose um, uh, my next uh, question is about the uh, very practical uh, reason that brought you here. And that is your Marie Curie funded co-fund fellowship, which had uh, a very strong project, which you were able to expand to incorporate <coughs> some of the material that you, you, you've discovered here. Can you say something about your original project and the connections yes. that you were able to make between that and uh, the, the Trinity collections? So with this, I'll switch my uh, background. My original project is called Stamping Provenance and it revolves around the library of the person who, sorry, the, where is it here, this stamp who made this stamp, and um, this is Ahmad Taimur, an uh, early 20th century collector in Cairo, who uh, built up a, a collection of manuscripts, which is more than 7,000 manuscripts strong. He also built a library, which is around 21,000 books strong. And uh, I came across this uh, person when I was doing a different research project on, a, on an author from 16th century Damascus. So a lot of that um, person, um, his name is Ibn Tulun, a lot of his autographed manuscripts, so manuscripts written in his own hand, ended up eventually in the library of Ahmad Taimur. So I kept coming across that library again and again and there is very little uh, research literature on that library itself. There is a lot of research literature that uses manuscripts from that library, but there is very little on that library itself. And so my project Revol is, is part of a longer term project that uh, wants to center the library of Ahmad Taimur. And um, that entails a number of things that entails the uh, the choice of manuscripts that he wanted to acquire, the sources of manuscripts um, that he acquired, and also then obviously the question, what did he do with those manuscripts once he had them? 
And I want to say that um, I don't want to look at this in terms of which manuscripts did he read and then what did he write about those, but rather I want to focus on the bibliographical uh, practices. So he uh, uh, inscribed um, manuscript reference numbers to all those manuscripts. He also um, he also wrote uh, short descriptions and annotations in those manuscripts, sometimes full table of contact, uh, contents for a manuscript. Manuscript, sorry. And in the course of my Marie Curie Fellowship, I looked at the book stems, um, some of which you can see in the background now. And these book stems are important because, at least in Egypt and Syria, they only come up. Um, in large numbers by the late 18th to late 19th century. And so in what I'm trying to find out is where are they used, how are they used, where are they put on pages of a manuscript, and um, in a special way they allow us to identify people who owned those manuscripts before Ahmad Taimur did. So yeah. Yeah, well, uh, what you describe you know, reminds me uh, uh, of the excitement that uh, some, you know, some of us in my line of research, which is classics, had when they first looked at uh, even a reproduction, never mind the original, of some humanist annotated manuscripts with you know, the date. You know, the earliest example of uh, you know, a cataloging system, uh, you know, the reasons why uh, this was acquired or even, you know, Mr. Petrarch gave me this, or actually Mr. Uh, Boccaccio gave me this signed Petrarch. You know, that is the kind of thing that uh, uh, really uh, brings to life uh, a book, not just as an object for research. And this is what, uh, as, as an object that has its history, that it connects with the history of its people, of its time. Uh, and, uh, and this is very much at the center of uh, what we do in manuscript and book and print cultures to look at things in an interdisciplinary and sort of holistic kind of way while also uh, encouraging the specific expertise that uh, is needed to make sense of this material because you know you can see you know from just your background you have to be a, a very skilled uh, reader of a, a number of varieties of written Arabic and uh, a very skilled uh, at recognizing stamps and making connections. I suppose there's a lot in your research about connections, isn't there? Yes, I want to say that uh, connections are, so connections as well as networks, as well as a certain focus on infrastructure of that manuscript trade. Um, and this is also what kind of connects my project on Ahmad Taimur to my project on uh, Trinity Library. I may change my background again. Um, so I'm looking at connections and um, maybe I'll just put that to the side for a bit um, that you can see it. So uh, this is basically a network that comes out in uh, the manuscript trade of, 70, of the 17th century, the manuscript trade between the Ottoman Empire and England. Um, and I'm working on establishing uh, a similar um, similar networks for Ahmad Taimur. Where did he find his manuscripts? Um, which people helped him to acquire manuscripts beyond his own city of Cairo in the larger region? 
And uh, we should also not forget that by the uh, early 20th century, new techniques of manuscript copying come into play. There is, for instance, photography as a new technology of uh, manuscript reproduction. Uh, later, by the, uh, by the mid 20th century, we have obviously the microfilm as one of the means by which manuscripts can be reproduced and read in different places with their own, so that creates problems for people who work on uh, the provenance of the physical manuscripts because sometimes you might encounter microfilms of manuscripts in different libraries in all corners of the world, but they all rely on the same physical manuscript, but they might not show it. Yeah, yeah. That's very important uh, and uh, <clears throat> Again, it reminds us of the materiality of, of the book, which is uh, uh, a key aspect of our research now, uh, as well as obviously the content and, uh, uh, and the meaning of, of the work uh, inscribed in the book. Um, uh, how did you, when you mentioned your discovery of the Trinity uh, collection, um, uh, when you first came and we had, uh, again, you know, memorable, uh, uh, meetings with Jane Maxwell in 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 in, in the library um, about this, and I know that Jane, you know, I'm grateful to her just as much as you are for all the work that she has uh, uh, developed with you. Um, she has done with you uh, uh, to develop your project. Can you say something about what you found, how many, and what how you got some idea about what it could be done with them? Yes, uh, I also have to thank Jane Maxwell because uh, she and also her colleagues at the Manuscript Room have uh, helped me tremendously, pointing me to uh, some unpublished resources on the history of Trinity Library, of the catalogues, of the collections, and uh, I don't think that this project would have uh, come as far without such uh, great uh, support from everyone over at um, both the Hub and Trinity Library. Um, Trinity has a small collection of manuscripts, of Arabic manuscripts, uh, depending on uh, what you want to count as an Arabic manuscript. Uh, there are between 70 and 80 uh, items. And um, I'm saying it depends on your definition because there is a number of manuscripts that actually contain um, texts in more than one language. For instance, there is, a, there is a Coptic manuscript, but it has in the margins um, an Arabic translation. And the question then is, do you classify that as an Arabic manuscript or not? Um, we also have some items in the collection that are not manuscripts as such. And those are exciting as well. There is, for instance, a set of three Indian paintings from the 18th century or there is uh, an item called an imam's staff, which comes with uh, a little bit of documentation on the item's history. I have been focusing mostly on the early acquisitions before the 18th century. So this is the first uh, Trinity Library um, comes into being in the 17th, no, I'm sorry, in the 16th century. And um, the Arabic collection uh, has its beginnings in 1671, when the large-scale library of Archbishop James Usher was acquired. 
And uh, we see this in the first catalog from 1670 and then the second catalog from 1688. And um, the person whose correspondence I've traced here in the background is the second person very important uh, to the growth of uh, Trinity's early Arabic collection. Um, the uh, collector and former provost of Trinity College, uh, Robert Huntington, who gave, a, um, who gave a donation of 10 Arabic manuscripts and several other manuscripts in other non-European languages. Um, in 1682. And those early connect, uh, collections, while they appear in catalogs, have not been described yet um, in modern standard, like by modern standards. So we have some information about the titles uh, of the works that are included in those manuscripts. They are most often kept in the original Latin that was used in Trinity College um, in the 17th century. And they mostly have been copied from catalog to catalog until the, uh, the Abbott catalog of 1900. And I've been focusing on them because through uh, Robert Huntington and these other networks that we have in the 17th century, most of those manuscripts can be traced back to the Ottoman Empire. And that is my area of interest. Um, in the, uh, we have a very different... Um, provenance of manuscripts in, by the 19th century, uh, like those manuscripts that entered Trinity College in the 19th century, uh, those are often tied to um, the British imperial, uh, like the British Empire, and we have manuscripts coming in from uh, the Indian subcontinent, um, with, in which I include Pakistan, like modern day uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan, we also have manuscripts coming in from Nigeria and several islands around uh, the African continent. So it's a very different, um, it's a very different provenance of those manuscripts. It's a very different history of those manuscripts. And as far as I can say, the, those early manuscripts they exclusively came to Trinity or to the respective collectors before that uh, through purchase. Um, I should also say that I focused on those manuscripts because there are some catalogs for the later, for the, for the later um, acquisitions, but uh, these early acquisitions needed an updated description. And this, is, this is, will also be part of the outcomes of my fellowship here that um, some more detailed descriptions of these manuscripts will be given. Well, you have uh, covered some uh, 350 years of uh, Arabic manuscripts at Trinity and uh, uh, made them available, you know, for study, for research, and, and, and uh, it, in a way that uh, had never been possible before, right? And, uh, you know, so I suppose the COVID-19 crisis which in a way stopped your work in the, uh, in the old library, also prompted uh, uh, the speeding up of the, um, uh, of the, um, of the online sharing uh, through blogs, through an exhibition you know, of, of, of this material to the wider research community and to the wider public. So, I mean, you have a big, exhibition that's just uh, uh, been opened, just launched, right? 
Yes, um, and in this context, um, while so I want to say that I could not have done that again without Jane Maxwell, but also uh, without the uh, help of Gillian Whelan, who is the senior digital photographer at Trinity Libraries, and Greg Sheaf, who is uh, the web services librarian. And without the uh, without the support and uh, collaboration with these people, that exhibition would not have come out um, and not have come out so fast. I was surprised how fast that went. Um, so in this exhibition, I'm trying to make accessible like the history of these early, or I'm trying to answer the question, why uh, of all places we find um, this number of Arabic manuscripts in Dublin. And uh, in doing that, I'm trying to also give the context of, like some of which I have mentioned already, like where do those, where do those manuscripts come from? How were they found by those collectors? And why, are, why were they looking for them in the first place? Um, and I'm trying to tie this both to uh, developments in the Ottoman Empire at the time and events to uh, like in Dublin as well as Ireland and uh, Great Britain at the time. And it's an interesting, that's again an interesting uh, like ground for comparison with the other project because um, the like also by the early 20th century people who were interested in manuscripts and knowledgeable in uh, those languages, they were seen as uh, potential uh, soft diplomats by uh, state powers in the 20th century. If that was the same in the 17th century requires more research in my opinion, but we see certain connections there for sure. Um, and this, could, this um, exhibition also gave me the opportunity to um, share some of the images from those manuscripts so that people can um, on the one hand follow my arguments but also test my arguments and come to different conclusions. Um, I have like in preparation to this exhibition I have done a series of blog posts which were and uh, those were definitely like the reason why I made those was that we were all kept indoors or uh, should have stayed indoors and probably still should stay indoors for um, most of the time. And uh, so I'm not, I'm definitely not an epidemiologist. Please excuse my uh, pronunciation there. Uh, and I'm not a doctor. So I wondered what, what do I have to offer in this situation? And I thought that for people who work in my field or who are interested in Trinity Library and its holdings, it might be helpful to find a way to still work with those items that they love or on those items from a distance. And uh, through the, a series of um, four blog posts, I'm trying to give an idea um, how they can look at the provenance of the items that they're working with um, while they were in Trinity. So how can they identify, like through those catalogs, they can identify how long those items have been at Trinity 
and also what um, like how they were reshelved with every new catalog or not. So yeah. I have to say that you know, I, I've rarely seen such a phenomenal combination of you know, very strong research, a very, you know, very high degree of specialization. And you came with your project that was big enough, but you know, combined with this uh, side project that you know, became part of it and uh, acquired a dimension of uh, accessible public history, as well as, you know, uh, uh, this is a, a, a huge service that you have made to us as an academic community to the the wider to the wider uh, community this is a wonderful example of how we can turn a crisis and the constraints uh, of lockdown and isolation into opportunities to do things better and even to do them quicker you know you said earlier that uh, you were surprised how fast the, uh, the your digital exhibition uh, was put together you know it's fabulous colleagues everyone uh, on board and it could be done and uh, and you have for all uh, all of you who are viewing you will have received the links to the exhibition uh, don't miss it because it's absolutely fabulous to look at now we we have one uh, a couple of minutes to wrap up the more sort of formal presentation questions have already started coming in so um i i suppose uh, my last question is about um your future directions you know where are you going from here jane mentioned uh, a, a wonderful job you're going to but in terms of your research your research interests your trajectory now what you have uh, taken from this um, uh, experience that uh, you want to build on. Can you share some of that with us and everyone watching? So that's a very wide question and I hope I do it justice in my, my reply. Um, so, <laughs> so I want to say like uh, my own trajectory led me from textual research of a work uh, that was produced in 15th century Damascus to look at manuscript, like more at the, uh, like the trajectories of physical manuscripts uh, based on that project on Ibn Tulun. And um, then uh, looking further at, at trajectories, not only of individual manuscripts, but of uh, full corpora and what I learned uh, during so I extended that uh, that focus in this year by looking stronger at these at, at library practices and uh, librarian practices um, which again is like uh, happens on a very different scale and also especially the like Arabic manuscripts you know they're not always at the focus of librarians who have much larger numbers of Irish, English, Spanish, French manuscripts um, also to take care of. Um, and in my, so where I want to go with this is uh, to keep the library as an institution, but also as a space at uh, the center of my research. Yeah. Um, and 
so uh, in this new position, I hope to learn more about the perspective that librarians have on that, uh, to um, relate that and put in conversation with my own researcher perspective on librarian, uh, libraries. Sorry. Um, and your role, I mean, how do you see your role in, in, this, in, in this field in the next so, few years? So I still think that um, I see myself as a mediator or broker between those different disciplines. And uh, that is also one of the reasons why I need to understand the librarian perspective ever better um, in order to fulfill this role and to be uh, um, fair to all sides involved. Um, and at some point in the future, I see that uh, moving towards um, the study of archives as well and um, take, uh, take serious the positions of archivists as well. Um, that is one area where I still, I'm still very much learning. Yeah, because in, in archives you discover new things. I mean, this is what uh, uh, what um, uh, you have found in the few months uh, at Trinity. And you know, when we spoke uh, on another occasion, you know, I I, uh, I I I remember I asked you, uh, you know, you go through our libraries and archives like an Indiana Jones trying to find things. And remember what you told me. So I'm definitely against this notion because in contrast to Indiana Jones, uh, who goes, like who wants to retrieve artifacts and destroys their context in the process, for all those who have seen those movies, I'm do, trying to do the opposite and reconstruct the context from those artifacts. And uh, I think that all the, like, that is the, the more interesting story than finding something, um, you know, that is made out of gold or paper. Yeah, and um, yeah, and I, I want to say that uh, just very recently, uh, several colleagues have pointed out on Twitter uh, the practices um, with auction, like the problematic practices in auction houses, uh, especially with regard to Islamicate artifacts. Um, and while these artifacts are beautiful, like you know the context of how they got all the way to the auction house or like to uh, the places whence they came before. Um, that is the real interesting story, like an art, like basically an object that uh, has been around for hundreds of years, has an interesting story to tell. And that story should never be hidden under the carpet. Thank you, Tarsten. Uh, we've listened to you for hours on end, but uh, we have uh, about 20 minutes uh, now and uh, uh, enough questions to fill at least five hours. So I'll read the questions uh, to you. I'll try and, and, and put them together in some order. But you know, the, the answers will have to be brief because uh, uh, we don't have much time. But you have, uh, your talk has uh, uh, raised uh, a huge interest. And so thank you very much for this, as well as for all your work with us. Now, the first question that came in was from our colleague, Sahar Ahmed, and he's wondering whether you could tell us a little bit about Ahmed Taimou, the person, uh, what led him to become a private collector? Mm -hmm. Is that a, okay? So uh, he comes 
from a family that is that was very wealthy to his grandfather and father both work high up in the Egyptian state and that family is also a very liter literary family his sister Aisha is uh, now known as one of the most famous um, Egyptian uh, poetresses you could say his uh, his two sons or two of his sons became very uh, important in the rise of the Egyptian novel and Egyptian theater in the 20th century. And uh, so he had both the time and the, and the interest in collecting books and manuscripts. This is the short answer. Right. And, and, and Sarah also is asking uh, uh, wh whether the later acquisitions, especially the one from the Indian subcontinent, uh, are entirely in Arabic or also in Persian, for example. So there is a number of collections in Trinity that I have not looked at. There is uh, uh, collections in Persian, also around 70 manuscripts. There are also um, items in Sanskrit and in what was back then called Hindustani. Uh, this should be Hindu today. So yeah, there are those collections. I have not looked at them. I've looked at the Arabic items because that's uh, where my language skills lie. Well, of course. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> a slightly different question is from Christina Varad. Um, uh, uh, again, she thanks you uh, for the talk. And uh, could you speak a bit more about the book stamps? What were the distinctive traits? How did they differ, uh, differ across time and, and, and place? And she thanks you for your expertise. This is one of those, you know, two plus hours answers. You know, if you could uh, do it in a, in, in a few minutes. I'll try. So. <laughs> Uh, book stamps have been around in, uh, I think, in, in, in uh, like Iran or in like Persian works since the 15th century. Uh, we have them also in the Ottoman heartlands and especially in the royal libraries um, at around the same time or a bit later. Uh, and they take, like, because those are like large-scale libraries, but also people with like great means, uh, those take all kinds of shapes. They have rectangles. Uh, octagons, circles, ovals, and even tear-shaped ones. Um, but uh, in, so the situation is a bit different in Egypt and Syria since the uh, late 18th uh, century. And um, I would like my, it's still my speculation, it's not yet my argument, is that you have actually, uh, you have smaller scale uh, stamps that were actually used as seal rings and often used for documentary practices as well. Um, and a lot of people use them in addition to writing by hand an ex libris in a book, and then they sign it with the stamp as an additional document or certification that it's them. And um, what you have then is a lot of very small stamps. They're like less than two centimeters in diameter and often enough only give you a name and a date. So, um, but they still retain some of these shapes that I've mentioned before. Thank you. And obviously uh, you, you will get in touch, uh, you friends and colleagues and, uh, and audience out there, get in touch with, with Thurston uh, after the talk uh, to continue. Um, the conversation. Uh, now there's a big one.
from our uh, friend Jane Maxwell. Uh, and it's actually the topic I was going to raise at the end, but uh, as always, uh, Jane beat me to it. And uh, it's about decolonization of archives. So, you know, uh, uh, Jane uh, uh, reminds us that in libraries everywhere, curators are interested in uh, the decolonization of the archive, in speaking transparently about uh, attitudes of historical collectors to the material they collected from other cultures. And what did you find in your in time uh, 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 with us about attitudes of the 17th century librarians intrigued towards the growing Arabic collections? Which is something that you described, but you know, can you contextualize uh, so from the librarians themselves, I don't think we have a lot of, um, like I have not seen a lot of materials where they explicitly address that. Um, and one thing that I can say about the 17th century is those Arabic manuscripts were not treated as a separate category. They were rather treated as integral parts of private collections right. that came into uh, that came into Trinity. So all the uh, Huntington manuscripts are noted in the catalogs as coming from Huntington, and he also inscribed his own name in every one of those manuscripts. Um, so in terms of like deconization is uh, is a big topic and it's a very important topic, and I don't think that. I can answer that even if I take all the 20 minutes that are left. No. Um, but uh, I want to say I, I see a certain difference in like between those early acquisitions and later acquisitions, exactly because that whole hegemonic, hegemonic uh, position of yeah. um, Ireland as part of uh, you know, the uh, um, British world system. Uh, no, let me start over. Uh, the British world system was not in place as it was in the 19th century. So means of uh, force and means of um, extraction of you know, items of cultural value were not in place in the same way. I would say that these 17th century acquisitions were made on eye level, uh, very much like the British also bought spices from the Ottoman Empire at the time. And um, one of the things that I'm certain of is that the manuscript, like the manuscript market in the Ottoman Empire was a local and regional thing. It was meant to cater for a local and regional audience. And that's why British collectors could get access there. And um, it was not a manuscript market that was catered to a European or global audience. Right. That's very interesting. And I suppose, you know, uh, the ways one's, uh, one raises these questions and the way one uh, answers these questions leads to controversies, to, um, to, to, to uh, conversations that are very useful to have, but uh, uh, that, that uh, one has to handle carefully and, and 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 uh, and sensitively, and uh, I think you, you, you know, you're doing that very well. Now we have a couple of more specific questions, and uh, and uh, a final one for Katrina in the hub. Now, um, specific questions: one from Tyler Brand. 
uh, uh, who's very happy to see you uh, and hear you talk again. And uh, he would like to know how useful the manuscripts might be for a social environmental hist historian of medieval Syria and Lebanon. Do you know? So from the content, I would say that uh, there is definitely something for the social historian. There is less so for the environmental historian. But I should add that we found that we found a manuscript that is potentially from Syria. We could not really figure out where it's from exactly. That contains a piece of snakeskin. So there is your environmental history. Oh, I see. I see. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah. The, uh, <clears throat> I want to say there is an interesting manuscript that is interesting to someone working on the me on medieval Syria because it's so it's a work so there are several there is like a work by um, Tajadin Asupki who is a famous Damascene um, jurist and then there is another manuscript which is which was copied in the early 14th century by, um, I don't remember his name now, by, by, by a person uh, who also wrote two manuscripts which are now at Chester Beatty Library. So it's an, interesting, it's an interesting connection there that this manuscript came to Dublin three centuries before uh, the other two manuscripts also came to Dublin. Thank There's you. And then, uh, and the last one about content is from uh, John Dillon, um, a religious uh, professor of Greek emeritus, who would like uh, to know if uh, any of the manuscripts involve translations of Greek philosophy or science, Plotinus, Proclus, theology of Aristotle, or anything like that. There was another question about, the, you know, whether there was, you know, the content was primarily theological or not. But you know, I had to select. Um, so is that, do you happen to know, because obviously you will have looked at the content. So do you happen to know if there's anything that uh, would be useful in this case to, to um, Yes, uh, the, so the, the, basically the content of the manuscripts is very much dependent on the interests of the collector. And at the time, um, neither of the collectors uh, were very interested in ancient philosophy, or so it seems. Yeah. Uh, the Asha collection has uh, several Christian Arabic texts, but they are mostly uh, concerned with biblical history or contain prayers or sermons. Um, one of them also contains a, a like a treatise by Ambrose Asher, James Asher's mm -hmm. younger brother, on the origins of the Arabic language. But there is not so much on philosophy. And uh, Robert Huntington collected, for the most part, uh, works on Islamic law and astronomy in the widest sense. So there is, uh, for instance, uh, he donated a calendar um, from, I think it was the 1630s, um, that gives you a lot of information about the um, basically when, uh, which, so on the moon phases and also mm. on certain uh, religious holidays. But there is not much of philosophy in there. 
so not the, the you know, traditional, the, you know, what you would expect, Platonic or Arist Aristotelian. Uh, I, yeah, uh, I don't think that, I, I think that that time, you know, like while that was still happening with the Euclid, for instance, mm -hmm. like the Arabic Euclid can be found in Marsh's library in a printed volume. So that's like the, that's like the late 15th, uh, sorry, the late 16th, early 17th century. But then the interest in those, like in those languages had moved on to more um, religious and therefore political uh, aspects uh, during, since the 17th century was a time of um, like religious upheaval and a lot of religiously uh, defined conflicts, one could say. Um, they were like one of the main issues, one of the main reasons behind the engagement with Arabic texts was to, found a found, uh, to find a foundation to, um, to win over Eastern Christianity as potential allies or convert Eastern Christians to either the Protestant or Catholic faith. I see. I see. Mm, interesting. Uh, uh, Thurston, uh, to conclude, uh, there's Katrina here, uh, and what she says, uh, you know, we can all subscribe to. Hi, Thurston, thank you for being such a fabulous member of the Hub community, for achieving so much in such a short time. Terrific exhibition. Can you say as your last word a little on your work on manuscript in crisis? If you can. I can see Jane is back again. Uh, so. It really depends on crisis like uh if we're referring to the current crisis or the the, the covid crisis let's say say it mm -hmm. this way um then i want to say that uh this we we should never forget that um the manuscripts that have been put in one way or another online are not the only ones or not even the majority of the manuscripts out there we should not forget that uh, Western institutions have been uh, have had the luck of being uh, of, of having received the funding for digitization, and um, we should not forget that there are other collections out there, including that of Ahmad Taimur, which is now in the Egyptian National Library, which uh, might give a very different perspective on things than the manuscripts that we find online now. Uh, that is not to say that it's not a blessing that we have those manuscripts online, but we should forget that, you know, manuscript scholars and other disciplines as well talk about the survival bias, which manuscripts did survive. This is uh, dependent on, um, on, the, on, a, on uh, networks and also uh, traditions of preservation. So certain texts do survive, in larger numbers, others do not. And with digitization, we have an added bias, like a digitization bias, so to say, because um, so, like because certain uh, repositories put up their manuscripts, but maybe not all of them. So how do we have to think about how do they choose which manuscripts to digitize first, and also which manuscripts manuscripts to digitize at all, and then also which institutions don't digitize. Thank you, Thurston. This is a wonderful note for me, particularly I work on, 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 on texts that have not survived. And so I can relate to the survival bias point that, that you make. I can see Jane uh, uh, smiling uh, at us and it's, uh, you know, uh, 
151. I thank you for this uh, uh, huge uh, window into your fascinating research and uh, um, uh, uh, notes of thanks have already come through the chat and I uh, hope we will stay in touch with me, with Jane, with everyone and uh, uh, um, that our, our paths will cross again soon in real. Anna, I was going to say, I, you, you took the words out of my mouth, what a fascinating conversation, just redolent with that deep learning and understanding. Um, it's been a revelation, uh, uh, Torsten. Obviously, I've had the privilege of reading the blogs. Um, the exhibition, by the way, is absolutely fabulous. So well done again to you uh, and everybody, uh, our library colleagues who, who worked so hard with you. I mean, something to be hugely proud of. Uh, as a 17th century historian, you've just opened my eyes about many things. So very, very grateful to you for that. And Anna, that was just, as I say, a tremendous conversation that could go on. And hopefully, Torsten, you'll have an opportunity to follow up with people who have submitted questions through the chat function. So as, as is my responsibility now, I'm just going to do a few announcements and a few thank yous. Um, just to remind everybody that we are coming to the end of our academic year. We've got two other big events, though, we would love you to join us for. Tomorrow, we have a, 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 a webinar organised by Shape ID on the, the gap between research and policy. Um, our own Jennifer Edmund, Mary Doyle, and Jack Spappen will be speaking at that. It starts at noon, so at uh, one o'clock uh, Irish time, uh, uh, sorry, 12 o'clock Irish time, one o'clock European time. So, so please, uh, uh, 12 o'clock tomorrow for that webinar. The other thing I'd like to invite everybody to, which very much, very much in tune with uh, the conversation today is on the 30th of June, we are having a special day celebration of the amazing work of Beyond uh, 2022. Uh, it's the big project that is led by our colleague Peter Crooks um, and it's called Unlocking the Archives and it, it's about basically what was destroyed in 1922 on the 30th of June and how uh, uh, the communities around the world have come together to actually reconstitute the archive uh, that was destroyed. So please join us for that on the 30th of June as well. So all I want to do now is thank everybody for coming. It's been a great audience with fabulous questions. Um, to thank Anna again for um, her role, obviously, We've been working closely all together over the course of the year. It's been a privilege, Anna. Thank you for uh, uh, curating uh, that lovely conversation over lunch. But above all, Torsten, to thank you again for everything that you've done during your fellowship, for what you have brought to our community uh, in the hub, in the library, in Trinity, but also, I think, uh, 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 more widely. Um, we're extremely grateful to you. And as everybody else has said, we wish you luck um, uh, with the next phase of your career. Hopefully, Dublin has an even more, more special place in your heart than it did before. Um, it does. And that you'll, good. Well, that you'll continue to stay in touch because there are a lot more manuscripts in the library that need your attention. Um, uh, this is just the beginning of a journey and a relationship with Trinity, and one that we hope will extend way into the future. 
So uh, I want to, to, to thank you, to thank Anna and the whole team at the Hub who has made today possible, especially Francesca. Uh, so without further ado, it, wherever you are, in your kitchens, in your bedrooms, uh, in your attics, on your porches, let's thank Torsten in the customary way. Membership, book and print cultures, stepping provenance towards the history of the Time of Year Library, as well as being heard. The Hub is a space contemplating Ireland through the communities created by Coral The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Here's to the next 10 years.